Leviticus chapter 21. What's the theme of Leviticus? Holiness. You guys got it? That's good. Again, holiness, being set apart from this world, being set apart from sin, and being set apart to a relationship with God and the work of God. First and foremost, a relationship with God and then for the work of God, right? You think of Saul, Lord, what would thou have me to do after he begins that relationship with the Lord? We can think of Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. And each Wednesday night I've looked for different scriptures to bring us back to the point realizing he's called us to be holy. He's called us today to be that priesthood. We can jump over to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we'll look at two quick scriptures in Revelation before we dive in here to Leviticus 21. We can start in verse 4. It says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal, what does it say there? Priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had previously not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. Again, the Lord has called us, if we say we're a Christian, if we say we're going to heaven when we die, God has called us to be a royal priesthood. We are called to live by a higher standard, not the standard of Egypt behind us, not the standard of Canaan in front of us. We are called to live according to the standards of God's word. A couple pages to the right in Revelation chapter 1. And then in Revelation chapter 5, we see this same idea repeated to us. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. It tells us, John, to the seven churches who are in Asia, grace to you. And peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Finally, Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. So this is four New Testament scriptures telling us, again, if we're a Christian, if we say we're going to heaven when we die, if we say we love Jesus, we are called to be a kingdom of priests, of holy priests. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, it tells us, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. 
Again, God has called us in New Testament days that we are now, as believers, His priests. That's our calling. That's our role, not to live like this world, but to live as a kingdom of priests to our God. In Leviticus chapter 21, we're going to begin to see these regulations for the priesthood. It's not just the nation of Israel, but now it's for the priests and for the high priest himself. I love how Chuck Smith, he starts this portion of scripture. He says, as Paul said to Timothy, be thou an example unto the believer in 1 Timothy 4.12. It is never a very effective leader who said, now do as I say. The truly effective leader will say, now do as I do. Setting the example. Thus the priest as God's representative was to be a special kind of person. Again, the priest was God's representative. And we as Christians, guess who we are? God's representatives. And again, it's not... You're not going to be a good leader. You're not going to be an effective witness. You're not going to be a good ambassador. If you're telling someone, hey, if you want to come to Jesus, these are the things you got to do. Oh, but do, do you do that? Oh, no, no, I, I don't really do that. I'm still struggling with those things. But this is what you got to do if, you've got, if you want to follow him. No, we should be living in that. We should be able to say like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Again, I don't think any kid likes that. Maybe you as adults, you like that. But, hey, I remember being in PE, and my coach telling me, go run laps. And I looked at my coach and said, I don't know if you could run those laps, right? I don't know if you could do that. You got your golf cart following me, and you're making me run the mile. Some, something doesn't seem right here. And, again, that is not effective leadership. That's not an effective witnessing tool, especially when we're talking about, like we read in First Peter, who had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. We're going not from unfit to fit, not from not being able to run to run. We're going from death to life itself. And if we're not representatives of life itself, they're not going to really want to jump on board. They're going to say, your life is dead just like mine. You're a deadbeat husband just like I am. You're constantly in pornography just like I am. You watch the same movies that I do. You're in the same gossip as me. You listen to the same music as me. There's no difference. And that's not an effective witnessing tool. That's not an effective representative. That is not a priest. We dive in here, verses 1 through 4. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, None shall defile himself for the dead among his people except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother, also his virgin sister who is near to him, who has had no husband, for her he may defile himself. Otherwise he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. And this is the truth for Old Testament and the truth for us today, spiritual leaders are held to a higher standard. Spiritual leaders are held to a higher standard. They are not to defile themselves and they are not to profane themselves. You see, the priests were instructed to not only not touch a dead body, but to not even be in the same room as a dead body or be near a grave or near a tomb. 
unless it had to do with someone who was in their intimate circle as a family. It couldn't be cousin so-and-so or tío so-and-so. It had to be someone who was within their specific family members. In Numbers 19 verse 14, here we're given the law. It says, this is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. We looked at this in previous chapters, that being near something that was dead would cause you to be ceremonially unclean. And if you were ceremonially unclean, depending on your reason for being ceremonially unclean, you would not be allowed in the temple until the next sunrise, or you would not be allowed in the temple for the next seven days, a woman on her period for 40 days. And this God did not allow to be an option For the priests, God held them to a higher standard. The priest was not allowed to be ceremonially unclean for anyone but an immediate family member or an unwed sister. And this was to demonstrate how holy God is. This was to demonstrate purity in the priesthood. This was to demonstrate holiness, the separation that a priest is to have to God and away from this world. Again, the the ultimate result of sin is death. And God wanting to make this line and this mark that people representing the people to him and him to the people should have nothing to do with sin. Should have nothing to do with the end results of sin. Again, what are the areas in our lives that we're playing with sin? The areas of our lives that are dead. Hopefully we can be leading others to Christ by our own example and not just pointing them off to someone else. In verse 5 it says, They shall not make any bald place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. Is this saying baldies are disqualified from being a priest? No, not at all, right? If you remember two weeks ago we looked at this, and this was speaking of what pagans would do to mourn the dead. In Numbers chapter 19, verse 26 through 28, it says, You shall not eat anything with blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard, nor shall you make any cuttings on your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. So again here, God is calling the priest to not mourn the way that the rest of the world would mourn. Not even the rest of the Israelites would mourn. This would be a display that a priest of God needed to have their emotions in check so that they could be an example to the flock. Again, besides for immediate family members, a priest was not to mourn as other people mourn. In this day and age, a priest really wasn't even supposed to go to a funeral for anyone else except for their own family. Robert Jameson, he says, Not only that they might exhibit examples of duty to God in the moderation of their grief, but also by the restraint of their passions. Be the better qualified to administer the consolations of religion to others and show by their faith. The blessed resurrection. The reasons for not sorrowing as those who have no hope. 
Again, we are called as believers to sorrow in a different way. That when someone we love and care about and cherishes, when they pass away, yes, we mourn. Yes, we cry. Yes, we're broken. But we know if they're a believer, it's a see you later. I'll see you later in my full life and my full body. Right now you've gone from pain and the hospital and tubes to perfection and glory and holiness. And we need to be an example in the way we mourn. Someone should be able to come to the funeral of a Christian and be blown away at the people. In a sense, not even understand the people. And we've talked about this in these past two and a half years. We've seen that the world has zero answer for death. And that people are freaking out about death. To the point that if you walk in front of them, they, they have a hissy fit, right? They go crazy. What's happening? Someone got close to me. Uh, a couple, it was it two summers ago, Amanda and I, we went to Maine and we did a youth camp there and we're hiking in the mountains. So we're hiking, there's a bunch of us, and as we're hiking up, there's other hikers coming down with masks. And when they would see the kids, they would try to like bury their heads in the side of the mountain, right? They didn't want anyone even near them, breathing the same air out in the open. The fear of death. As believers, we shouldn't fear death, right? Last week, we looked at Polycarp. And the way he passed away, right? What a way to go with boldness for the Lord. We should not be afraid of death. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers. All of us, whether you're young or old, we should be examples to believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. That's what we are called to be, examples as believers. And again, what a better way to be an example to believers in conduct, in spirit, and in faith than to mourn in a way that seems foreign to the world. That's being an example. When you're going through the most difficult moments in life, losing someone you care about, losing someone you love, you're able to show them that in your conduct, in your spirit, and in your faith, you are being an example. You truly believe in your heart that one day you're going to see them because that's what God's word says. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, Paul warned the church of Thessalonica and he says, Hey, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Again, we have the hope that we will see family members once again if they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we should act like that hope is within us. Again, we're going to mourn. We're going to be broken. But there shouldn't be this just insane weeping. I don't know, right? Biblically, you shouldn't get a tattoo for the dead, right? That huge, uh, huge bumper sticker on the back of your car for the dead, right? Huge tattoo on your back for the dead. Biblically, we don't see that because we're going to see them later. And if unfortunately we're not sure if they had a relationship with God or not, we have hope in our perfect Father and in God who wills that none would perish. So if any man does not gain access to heaven, it's because of the hardness of their heart and the continual denial of the Holy Spirit drawing them to Christ. 
And that might be difficult for some of us and certain family members, but that should give us hope in the Lord. I know God, hey, if it was up to him, no one would perish. This was the hard-heartedness of my father, my mom, my cousin, my aunt, but the Lord knows. We continue verse 6. It says, They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. Again, we see that twice in one verse. They shall be holy. What does holy mean? Again, to be sacred, to be set apart. And to be a priest is an enormous privilege and a responsibility. And again, if you're here and you're saying you're a Christian, you're going to heaven when you die, it's an enormous responsibility and privilege to represent the Lord. Again, imagine what it was like to be a priest. Every time someone would know their sins were pardoned and would sense that mercy and grace and forgiveness, one of the priests were there. One of the priests were there to witness that, to see someone's sins being pardoned, to be cleansed, to be covered. Every time someone would make a peace offering where they would break the same bread and some of that bread would go to God, some of that bread would go to the person making the sacrifice, and then where would the rest of the bread go? To the priest. And they had, they had the joy and the privilege to partake in fellowship with people as they came to have fellowship with God. Again, what a privilege. And this same incredible privilege and responsibility exists today. To have the joy of being associated with God in the minds and the hearts of the people. Again, imagine when these Israelites would think of the word of God, they would hear it in the voice of those priests. Just as many of us, when we read certain scriptures, maybe you hear it in Pastor Raz's voice or Joe Foge's voice or Chuck Smith's voice or maybe my voice. That is an enormous privilege and responsibility. And that's why God says in verse 6, two times, you shall be holy. Let's go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3 again. It's just a New Testament version of this Leviticus 21. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Again, that all starts off with James telling us and revealing to us that if we are going to teach the word of God, we are going to be held to a higher standard. I'm going to receive a stricter judgment when I face God. The different pastors here, the kids in kids ministry, the parents teaching the things of God to their kids, there's a higher standard for us. We're going to be held to something far greater. And that's why we need to have discipline. Realize that there. Discipline in our bodies 
chapter 3, verse 2, able to bridle the whole body, and then able to have discipline with our mouths, with our tongues. Again, how evil today that some pastors trying to be cool are cussing at the pulpit, are using innuendos at the pulpit. What a twisted view of James chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. But again, a priest has the privilege of being the, the representative of God to the people. And now we will be held to a higher standard if you serve here at a greater capacity, you're an SOM or a pastor or anything like that. I was listening to Jay Vernon McGee teaching on this, and he says, with responsibility comes privileges. With responsibility comes privileges. And that's so important for us that if you are given more responsibility in the church, there are privileges there. Being able to see people's lives healed, being able to see marriages healed, being able to see people freed from sins and damnations, being able to see people actually get it, being able to baptize people or marry people or be there for people in their greatest moments of need. There's responsibilities, but there's great privileges also. So often we twist those things around and we just want the privileges, even in everyday life, right? So often people go and they have sex before marriage and they're tasting of privileges before the responsibility, before they share last names and bank accounts and grocery bills and light bills and all the responsibility. They're trying to have the privileges. Again, we need to share in the responsibilities and then the privileges will come. And oftentimes we whine about the responsibility, but we just want the privileges. Again, there is responsibility in serving the Lord, but there are so many privileges, so many blessings. Back to Leviticus 21, verse 7, it says, They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. Again, there is a higher standard for the Levite. They had to marry a special woman. And the high priest would be held to an even higher standard in verse 13. If you serve here at church, depending on which area of ministry you serve in, there is a higher standard. And it goes higher and higher. If you're on the platform, if you're in worship, if you're in one of the Bible study ministries, there is a high standard to represent the Lord to the people and represent the people to the Lord. Robert Jameson, he says, the respectability of their office and the honor of religion required unblemished sanctity in their families as well as in themselves. And the parts from it in their case were visited with severer punishment than that of others. Again, my life is held to a higher standard. How are you going to come to me for marital advice if my marriage is in shambles? How are you going to come to me and how to overcome alcohol if I'm drinking brewskis every single weekend? How are you going to come to me with problems with your children if my children are going nuts and I just have my hands up in the air saying, mercy, grace, mercy, grace. I am held to a higher standard. And anyone that seeks to serve the Lord, you're going to be held to a higher standard too. But it's a privilege. I'll tell you, it keeps me out of a lot of trouble. I don't even have to think about certain things. I don't have to wrestle with certain things because I don't even go near it. I don't even touch it. Right? What would you tell someone that struggles with alcohol, an alcoholic? How would you tell them to be freed from it? 
You guys don't know? You tell them to stop drinking, right? Just abstain from alcohol. If they abstain from alcohol, they won't get drunk. And if they don't get drunk, they won't become an alcoholic. Again, so often we're making excuses for more and more sins, and we're taking the repercussions of sin, which is death. And then we're asking, how close can I get to sin without getting the full form of death? The answer is live holy, live pure, live with as much as you can for the Lord, and you'll see the blessings that come there. For us today, verse 7 doesn't necessarily apply. As believers today, we serve a God of second chances. And so many of the disciples in the New Testament and believers today are tokens of God's grace and mercy. However, tokens of God's grace and mercy in the past. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, let's turn there. Doing my best showing us Old Testament and now New Testament. How do we apply this today? Does that mean we're only allowed to marry people that have an unblemished sexual history? That would be ideal, but our world is so fallen, so depraved. Verse 1 through 4. It's important when we come to Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There's certain consequences for our previous lifestyles and our previous sin, but in Christ we are a new creation. That old man is dead, and now Christ is living in us and through us instead. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, it tells us, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and not uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks." Encourage you to read the rest of Ephesians chapter 5 later on. But we are called to walk in love as Christ has loved us. And when we walk in love, these sins would not even be named among us. So if you had sexual promiscuity in your past and now you've come to Christ, that's the old you. But now the new you should not even have these things named among you. That when, you talk, when someone talks to you and you give your history, when you give how the Lord freed you from certain things, they'll say, wow, that's what you used to do? That's mind-boggling. I would never think about that today. That should be our story. Hey, I once was a this, but now I'm this. Right? You think of the blind man. He's there in front of the Pharisees and says, this is the only thing I know. I was once blind, but now I see. And how drastic it is from going from being blind to seeing that should be each and every one of our lives. We should be walking in holiness. This set-apartness all stems from walking in love. That's what we need to be conscious of. How much do you love the Lord your God? How much do you love Him? Because the more you love Him, the more willing you will be to walk separate from this world. And not just willing, the more you will choose in your heart to say, I am going to walk differently than the rest of this world. Every time we make occasion for sin, every time we make occasion for gossip or slander, sexual activities, drunkenness, it is because we love those things more than God. We're saying, Lord, I love you, but I really want X, Y, or Z. 
Lord, I love you. I know you're perfect. I know I should be fulfilled in you, but I really think I need these things to be fulfilled. Family, are we walking in love? And again, Jesus says, imitators of God. Jesus set himself apart from sin, but Jesus also laid down his glory, the glory he had with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit before creation. And he also laid down some of the characteristics which he had since the foundations of the world to demonstrate his love for us. And ultimately, he would walk in love, how? By dying on the cross, taking my place, paying for my sins. He would demonstrate his love in this way. He calls us to also be set apart from sin. We don't have to let go of all the other incredible things that God let go of. Again, realize what he's asking us to let go of. Sin, poison, death, things that dumb us down, things that rot our brains. He says, hey, give up these things and now walk in holiness, demonstrating your love to God and your love to your brothers and sisters. And I will bless you. All The last song we sung. So again, isn't it insane and in how we fight about these things? He's saying, hey, walk in holiness. Be set apart from sin, which dumbs you down, which will destroy your family, which will destroy your bank account, which will warp your mind. Hey, give up these things and walk in holiness. And what do we do in our flesh? Nah, I, I can't give that up. I can't give that up. My coworkers will think I'm crazy. I want to go down that road, but I don't want the full repercussions of sin, but I, I kind of want to be liked by this world. Alcohol is not that big of a deal. I know more people die from that than COVID or anything like that, but it's not that big of a deal. I'll just drink just enough, but not too much. I'll be okay, right? Oh, pornography. I know a lot of people struggle with that. I used to struggle with that, but I need to keep my iPhone, right? I need to keep my laptop. I need to keep these things. Do we notice what we're doing? We're holding down to the things that rot our brains, that steal, kill, and destroy. When God's saying, hey, be separate from these things. Represent me. Have the joy and privilege of being closer to the Lord. The joy and privilege of having things that keep you out of trouble. Again, that's the trade-off God is asking us for. Hey, walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us. We go back to Leviticus 21, verse 8 through 9. And again, we've seen the power of this. When a pastor or leader is not walking in holiness. When we see a pastor have a divorce, there's a huge amount of power that's sucked out of their teaching, right? It's a little too ironic when they're teaching a sermon on marriage, right? It just doesn't jive well, right? When someone's teaching you on how you should raise your kids, but every single one of their kids is a prodigal, I don't know if you want to take advice from that guy, right? Again, same thing, you're going to the gym and someone comes to you, they're 500 pounds overweight and they want to give you some advice on how to be healthy, right? Are you going to listen to them? You're going to pull out your, your, note, your notepad and pen, yeah, let me listen to all your advice? No. And we've seen pastors, when they fall into sin, all the power is gone because they're not living in that holiness. Us as parents, may we walk in that holiness so the power is not sucked and vacuumed out of our lives when we're trying to talk to our kids when we're trying to lead them and be examples to them same thing with our marriages both wives and husbands here how can you be an example to your spouse of walking in love if you yourself are not walking in love 
If you yourself do not have a walk and relationship with Christ, those two things don't work well. Leviticus 21 verse 8, Therefore you shall consecrate him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy, the daughter of any priest. If she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. Again, why are they to live in holiness? Because our God is holy. This is who our God is. He is a holy God. He's set apart from the things of this world. And again here we see the responsibilities of the Levite led to more privileges. But with these privileges came a high standard. That's just everything in life. The more privileges, the more responsibilities you're given, the higher standard you need to live in and walk in. And this standard was on the priest's entire home. His entire family would have their bread, their meat literally brought from God's altar into their homes. However, if they ever walked away from the things of God, both he and his family were held to a higher standard. In verse 9 here we see the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself and plays the harlot, she was to be burned with fire. A higher standard. Verse 10, he who is the high priest among his brethren on whose head the anointing oil was poured and who is consecrated to wear the garments shall not uncover his head nor tear his clothes. So here we see an even higher standard for the high priest. The guy had to wear a hat 24-7, maybe else to cover his baldness. No, just kidding, just kidding, right? He's never supposed to uncover his head and he was never to tear his clothes. So the priests were held to a higher standard, but now the high priest is held to an even higher standard. And again, it's incredible. The more we study God's word, the more things are open to you. In Matthew 26, verse 65, it tells us, Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken in blasphemy. What further need do we have of a witness? This is the high priest when he was trying to come down on Jesus. And we see time and time again, the high priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees coming against Jesus broke laws left and right in their just quest to quench out Jesus. Verse 11 and 12, again, held to a higher standard. He could not go near any dead body. He could not defile himself even for his mother or his father. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary nor profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. You see, the high priest could not even defile himself, right? That being ceremonially unclean, even for his own parents. He was held, once again, to a higher standard. He had to be ready to intercede for the people. He had to be ready to offer sacrifices for the people on behalf of of the people to the Lord. He couldn't take a day off or a week off to stay away from this service unto the Lord. Later on, we'll end with Jesus Christ and how he's our high priest and he's always interceding. He never steps out of that room, out of that prayer position for us. Verse 13 through 15, it says, He shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman or a defiled woman, or a harlot, these he shall not marry. But he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife. 
nor shall he profane his posterity among his people, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. The high priest had to live in a way that was absolutely blameless. He had to live absolutely blamelessly. Everett Harrison, he says, The mention of a harlot is intended to remind the Israelites that cultic prostitution of the Canaanite variety had no such place in the life of this covenant community, since this behavior would profane God's holy name. The high priest was not to live like the world around him. He's once again to be set apart. And there's a high standard today for elders, for bishops, and pastors all over the New Testament as well. We can run over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We won't break down the second half of the chapter as much. We'll just read through it and read two commentaries. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop... He desires a good thing. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but again, a bishop had to be blameless, above reproach. None of these things named among him. In Titus chapter 1, we see a very similar Attributes given here to any men that wanted to be a bishop. Verse 6 through 7, it says, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Again, this is a high standard for anyone who's a church leader. Our kids should be obedient. Should not be trying to overthrow or buck against the authority constantly. Verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, and not greedy for money. But hospitable, a lover of what's good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. And again, when we live in this manner of life, man, there's certain respect that comes. When we live in this way, God opens doors for you to share on behalf of him responsibilities and privileges and a high standard. But it's never failed. When men who are bishops, when men who are pastors begin to allow certain of these character traits to break and to diminish And to erode away, their respect begins to erode away with it. There's there's no way around it. God, he asks a high standard for any man that will represent him. Again, there's responsibility, but there's so much privilege there. Verse 16 and 17, back to Leviticus chapter 21. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. The picture of this for us is a spiritual picture. We cannot stay in the presence of God and we cannot serve a holy God if we have spiritual defects. We need to allow these spiritual defects 
to have been addressed by our faithful God. And our God is able to heal any and all spiritual defects. But we need to allow him to address them. If we try to hide them, the, the light's going to be shown on it sooner or later. Just as we see with David and so many men in the Old and New Testament. The picture for this in this time period, Robert Jameson, he tells us, As visible things exert a strong influence on the minds of men, any physical infirmity or malformation of body in the ministers of religion, which distributes the associates or which excites ridicule, would tend to detract from the weight and authority of the sacred office. Priests laboring under any personal defect were not allowed to officiate in public service. They might be employed in some other duty about the sanctuary, but could not perform any of the sacred offices. And all these regulations for preserving the unsullied purity of the sacred character and office. Here we see a type and a reference to the priesthood of Christ. Again, this is very simple. God's saying if you're going to distract from the service, you can't, you can't serve there. You can serve in a million other ways, but you can't serve in those specific things. Again, if you're blind and you're trying to butcher the animal and you're cutting your fingers off right, and all these crazy things are happening, it's not going to be a good look when someone's trying to make their offering unto the Lord. If you're making the offering, you can't see, you can't hear, and you light someone's robe on fire, it's not going to be a good look to the Lord and His holiness. And again, what a similar thing for us today. We are all given different giftings, and if we're honest, abnormalities, right? And depending where we're at, the Lord has a specific place for us to serve. It's not that we're kicked out of his home. It's not that we're kicked out of the church. It's just that there's a specific place for you to serve. Again, listening to J. Vernon McGee, he had a story on how there was a young man who was a college football player, but he had a cleft lip. So he couldn't speak very well, but he was super in shape. And the kid came to him saying, man, I want to be a pastor one day. And I don't think you're allowed to be this cut and dry anymore. But he says, man, brother, I love you and I care for you. But if you're a pastor, you have to be speaking all the time. And if you can't speak, you're probably not called to be a pastor. However, there's many other godly things you could do. He says, hey, you're super in shape. Why don't you be a PE teacher and share the glory of God for kids through PE? They'll follow you because of your self-discipline. So the guy, he didn't get offended. He didn't sue J. Vernon McGee. No, what did he do? He went and he tried to be a PE teacher. And he saw that was too difficult, so then he became a college coach. And then J. Vernon McGee says that that young man brought many other young men to the Lord because of his physical shape. And then because they'd hear him speaking in broken speech, drawing men unto the Lord. You see, oftentimes we see other people in their state and say, that's what I want. That's what I need. But perhaps that's not what God has called you to do. And I don't get any more privilege and blessing in heaven than the person that's praying for the service. We both get the same blessing in heaven. And you don't have to study and have people scream at you afterwards either, right? You get the same blessing. If you're praying for the service, praying for the worship, praying for the kiddos, you're going to get the same blessings in heaven. So often we want the glory, we want the title, but oftentimes it's the people that don't want it myself included, that get put in these places. That's just the way the Lord works. So we're going to read through these, verse 18 through 23. For any man who has a defect shall not approach a man blind or lame, who has a marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand, 
no hunchbacks, no dwarfs. A man who has a defect in his eye, eczema or a scab, or is a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God. Again, he can fellowship with the Lord. He can fellowship with the other Levites, both the most holy and the holy. Only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect. Lest he profane my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. Again, physical problems did not excommunicate a Levite from serving the Lord or from being taken care of by God. They would still be able to partake of the bread and the sacrifice. They would still stay in the family. They just were not able to be upfront and center serving everyone. Again, the same truths today. If serving in a certain area would distract from the purpose of the service, you shouldn't serve there. Again, if a pastor can't speak English, he's probably not called to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Miami. Unless we go to only Spanish services, right? Then he'd be called to it. That's just the way it is. Again, with the worship ministry, if you're not gifting and singing on pitch and key and people are being distracted from worshiping the Lord to saying, who is singing? What is happening, right? You're not called to serve and worship. And you may have an incredible voice, incredible skills, but if you break in the middle of worship and you start going on crazy licks on the electric guitar, you could be incredible. But the same problem is happening. You are distracting from the work of the Lord. And that can happen in translation, kids' ministry, parking lot, golf cart, right? Think of someone who's a NASCAR driver and he wants to serve in golf cart, right? He may be distracting from the service and purpose of golf cart, which is to bring people safely from the parking lot to the place where they go worship. Right? Maybe they get their life scared out of them and then they want to give their life to the Lord or something like that. But every area of ministry should not be to distract people. It should be to lead people to the Lord. Uh, verse 24, it says, And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. Again, Moses didn't hold back. Whatever the Lord put, whatever the Lord spoke to him, he said it. That was the role that was given to Moses. We go to Hebrews chapter 7. Again, the blessing for us, our high priest, he's not a hunchback. Our high priest, he's not blind. He's not a dwarf. Our high priest is so incredible. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 through 28. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, myself included. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Again, family, remember our high priest. He is perfect. He is humble and lowly and he is harmless. And he's waiting for us to come to him and run to him with our problems and sins in humility. 